You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Good morning, church. Um, first, I just have to say how much, um, just how grateful I am for the welcome that I've, have, I've experienced since uh, first starting my journey with WCC. Uh, again, I've, I've known Fred and about WCC for about two and a half years. My sister, Crystal, and uh, her husband, Nico, have attended here until they moved down to Fort Lauderdale. Um, and so through them, I, I knew the church, and I, and I knew what you guys did and what you guys meant. Uh, and I had, I had promised myself that I did not want to be part of a, of a church institution unless they were truly doing the work of God. And that's what I saw in WCC. I didn't see a bunch of programs. I didn't see a bunch of, um, a, a bunch of stuff that just to do for the sake of doing. I saw in WCC a heart for people um, that are, are the lost, the least, and the lonely. And I, I truly, truly appreciate that. My first connection with WCC outside of Fred was Theology Thursdays. I want to plug that uh, just because that means a lot to me. Um, uh, we would meet on Zoom every Thursday night. This Thursday is going to be really, really weird. Um, because we talk, about the, we talk about the Sunday service, and I'm doing it, so that's going to uh, be strange for me uh, to, uh, to sit through on Thursday. But it's a wonderful time uh, where we kind of dissect all of Fred's errors and uh, kind of make fun of him a bit. Uh, but uh, it truly is a, a wonderful and meaningful time, and so I encourage you, and you don't even have to leave your PJs, man. It's Thursday from 6.30 to 7.30. Sit at your house and join us. Um, so... I just thank you for that. Now, I am a, a learning facilitator, which is what we at Williamsburg Christian Academy call a teacher. Um, I teach a number of students here, some of them back there. Um, and for me, uh, as a teacher, to, uh, uh, to voluntarily join a community in which I will run into my students says a lot about those students, all right? And they are some pretty special students. Uh, and if I thought for one minute that any of them would annoy me enough, I just wouldn't be here today. Um, so, but they are really a really good group of, of kids. Ian needs some work, but um, we're, <laughs> we're taking care of that. Um, so my wife and I are parents of two beautiful, beautiful children. Um, and I want to talk about my youngest, Quinn, first. She knows the stuff I'm going to say. I got her approval. She signed off on it. Um, so she is our youngest. Uh, she'll be 17 uh, next month. She just started, uh, she got her learners not too recently. So her and her dad are now um, fearfully and wonderfully driving together. Uh, and so I'm really in parking lots right now, but she's getting the hang of it, and she's uh, getting her confidence built up. But she has a passion and a talent for art uh, that could have only come from her, from her mother. Uh, I can barely color inside the lines, much less uh, be as creative as she is. The only thing she got from me was a need for some anger management classes. Um, <laughs> But uh, she is working on just living and being who she totally is and being, and she, had, she knows who she is. Uh, she is an old soul. She uses a typewriter and a record player, um, which is the coolest thing. She, at one point, as a middle schooler, she carried around my old Discman, uh, and she didn't care what anybody said. She just had it, and, you know, she was going to use it, and that's the spirit that she has. She's a fighter. She's a scrapper. Um, she battles every day with intrusive thoughts uh, and for her mental health, uh, and she is truly, truly my hero. Um, I just love her, to, love her to pieces. Um, our other daughter, Tara, and she lives with Jesus now. Um, November of 2020, uh, she passed away peacefully. Um, she was tall. 
it had to be from her mother's side. Her, my brother-in-laws are like six foot three. I'm it in my family. Uh, but she was gorgeous. Uh, again, she was um, coming into who she, who she really was. She had an incredible voice. Um, she, could, she could sing. She was winning awards. Uh, she was learning. She taught herself how to play the ukulele, which is why I've got it tattooed in my, on my arm. She was writing songs. She was doing uh, open mic nights, uh, and she's just incredibly gifted. She had a bit of a rebellious spirit, what teenager doesn't, um, but she always, always was ready to fight um, for a, a, what we would call a lost cause, and she was always ready to be there. Uh, again, that was about probably the only thing they two, the two of them had in common was, was that. But, uh, and I wear the shirt in her honor because uh, she loved this shirt. Every time I wore it, she'd always say, Dad, I love that shirt. So that's, that's for her. Uh, anybody that knew her, we continue to love her, and her mother and I will always count her as one of our children no matter how long she's been away from us. Now, I could spend probably a month of Sundays talking about grief, um, but it wouldn't matter because I could fill up all those Sundays with words, and unless you've lost a child, you will never understand what it is like to lose a child. Um, to take a page out of Fred's book, um, a little call and response here. When a child loses both of their parents, we call them a, an orphan. When a spouse loses uh, their significant other, we call them a widow. When a parent loses a child, we call them a... Mm, right? There is no English word. Uh, for a, uh, a parent who loses a child. Uh, the term widow uh, comes from a Sanskrit word that means empty. So upon losing a child, uh, a professor at Duke University went back to ancient languages, and she found this word, veloma. And what veloma translates to in ancient Sanskrit is against the natural order. If you have a child, you know that it is not right that you'd have to bury one of your own. That's not how the world is supposed to work. It's not a funeral I was supposed to have to plan. I was prepared kind of in my life in 20 or 30 years to have to deal with my parents, my grandparents, but I was not prepared to have to bury my own child. Now understand, please, as I continue on, that I am not standing up here before you today saying I've got it all together because I don't. My path is just that. It's my journey. My journey is different than my wife's journey. It's different than my daughter's journey. It's different than my parents' journey. It's different than the journey that uh, my daughter's friends are having as they wrestle with this. It's my journey, and everybody's is going to look different. In fact, I'll be honest, my family is still a fractured unit as we try to find our new normal. All right, it's like we're three different people. We're tied together in this one moment, and we're all moving away from that moment at different speeds and at different directions. And so we're trying to battle that, and we're trying to figure out what that means for us. So today I'm going to share with you my path, and it's simply that, mine. Now, as I said, I'm a teacher. I teach math. I'm not a mathematician, all right? But I do love math, and I love the connection that it can show us, all right? And we can, through math, we can bring order to this chaos, all right? And it shows God in everyday things. Uh, I teach my students that math loves balance, all right? And so for every equation that you have, if you do something to one side, my students are trained to say, we have to do it to the other side. So what does that mean in my life? In my life, we have an, an unbalanced equation because something was lost. Something was removed, and now I have to add something back. 
That's how math works. And so as I was preparing for this, and Fred and I have been talking about this since November, I think, about me doing this today, it dawned on me that something had to replace it, and it could be anything. To be honest, it could have been drugs, it could have been alcohol, it could have been hours and hours of Netflix. I, I mean, you can really replace that with anything. But what I found was this, with that my equation looked like this. You take grief and you add community. Over time, you can get back to a place where you can choose joy. So the underlying part of this equation is time. We know what that is. It's a finite resource that each one of us have. What we don't know is exactly how much of it that we have. Time in this equation also does not start at the moment of our tragedy. All right, the time that I started to heal was well before the moment ever happened, the moment I ever knew that I would need the stuff that I was learning in community. Jesus in John 16, 33 promised us that there will be trouble in this world, but that he has come to overcome the world. The problem is that sometimes I feel, I know in my own life, I grasp onto that second part, that he will overcome the world, and I forgot that he also promises, hey, guess what, life is going to suck. And so we forget that. We forget that there's a warning. And there's also a warning in Ecclesiastes 3, where we're told there's going to be a time for birth and death. There's a time for laughing and weeping. There's a time for mourning and dancing. And that's a warning for us that we need to prepare our lives for those moments because they will come. There are many lessons that I can share with you about this time in my life, but guess what? Not a single one of them was learned in that moment. They were tested there. You see, when you are drowning is not the time to get swimming lessons. So what, what do I mean by all this? Well, community takes time. My healing journey didn't start after my daughter's death. It started well before in community. In community, I came to read things that I'd never read before. I learned of authors and voices that I'd never heard before. And they were writing on topics I never even knew existed. And one of those topics talks about the non-dualistic mind. And I started reading the writings of a Franciscan friar named Richard Rohr. And in that moment, in what a non-dualistic mind is, it's telling us and teaching us to live in the and. And it's the tension that Fred so often talks to us about. In the non-dualistic mind, we learn that it's not life or death. We replace that or with and because death is part of life, so it's life and death. And they are part of the same coin, two sides of the same coin. Rohr goes on to write, that as you continue honing and refining a non-dualistic mind, you have no interest in carrying around negative baggage. Wisdom emerges when you can see everything and you eliminate nothing. And you include all as an important training. Finally, everything belongs. You eventually, again, there's the time, are able to say from a larger place that may surprise you, it is what it is, and even the bad was good. Now, I learned from this that we have to live in the and. So think about this for a minute. Have you ever been driving in a car with someone and a song comes on and you hate it, but they love it? All right. Well, in that moment, all right, you have some decisions. You can battle it out to see who gets control over the radio. All right. And someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose. You can sit there and pout about it and suck it up and deal. All right. Or 
you can sit in that moment instead and turn it on its head and figure out why they like it so much. We can do this with visual art. I don't get Jackson Pollock splatter paintings, but I'm sure some of you recognize that as, as art. Um, I wish I'd done it first. Um, <laughs> we also have the same thing with Hawaiian pizza. Did I just divide the crowd into two halves there? Um, so in the moment, that song, that pizza, that visual art is simultaneously, at the very same time, both irritating and pleasing. All right, and tension is something we know here at WCC. It's part of our culture. Fred talks about it all the time. Living in that tension, this lesson that I learned about a year or so prior to my daughter's death allowed me to be in a place that when she died, I was not stuck in this eternal loop of asking the question, why? I knew from these lessons that the why was never going to come this side of heaven that I was never going to understand, and frankly, no why, no reason was ever going to be good enough for me. And so because I had wrestled with this tension and had wrestled with not understanding before the moment happened, I could live in the tension. And instead of having all this and spending all this energy to try to figure out something I would never be able to figure out, I was able to be there more, I was able to have more emotional energy for my wife and for my child where it was needed the most because they didn't have to wonder why. Author Parker Palmer writes this, in the visible world of nature, a great truth is concealed in plain sight. Its diminishment and beauty, darkness and light, death and life, are not opposites. They are held together in the paradox of the hidden wholeness. In a paradox, opposites do not negate each other. They cohere in mysterious unity at the heart of reality. Deeper still, they need each other for help as my body needs to breathe in as well as breathe out. Such a small word, that word and. It has the power of unity and healing. We can link scrumptious food items like roast beef and mashed potatoes and carrots, and I don't have to choose. We get peanut butter and chocolate. Sorry, Ian. I hope that doesn't cause you any problems. I think you're over there. Um, Peanut butter and jelly. Yes, ham and pepperoni on a pizza and pineapple. Yes, it does work, folks. I like it. It's really good. Don't judge me. Simon and Garfunkel. It's and. Life is too full and too rich for us to live in an either-or mentality. It's too limiting and can be too divisive. We are well-versed here in the one another commands, and a great deal of these call us to unity. Christ bids us to be at, the, at peace with one another in Mark 9. In Romans, Paul tells us to be one mind with one another. How do we accomplish this? Well, we start replacing the or with and. Instead of trying to change the station, we ask and we talk to them about why does that song mean so much to you? And we understand and we live in the and. If we take the time to do this, we are one step closer to achieving the unity that Christ calls for. Now, on the day our daughter died, as the news rippled out, our community was out in full force. It was a community that was, in some cases, decades in the building. Tara died in my parents' home, and they took care of us and played host for all the people that flooded in to see us and offered the gift of their witness, even though they knew there was nothing they could do or say. And I have to pause right here as I talk about what people should do or should say. 
because there's some, th- some things, folks, that are just plain hurtful. And unless you've experienced the loss of a child or something like that, please do not try to offer up any advice about how they should feel or how good it's going to be or how it will be okay. All right? The only thing I really ever wanted to hear was I'm sorry and I have no words. Because when you say that to me, you are acknowledging that the depths of my pain that you cannot feel and you are also telling and acknowledging your presence. And that's all we really need. When we are in that moment, we are in that deep amount of sorrow, all we need is your shoulder and your presence. We don't need your theology. The single worst thing that I heard that still affects my wife, if I'm honest, is someone looked her in the eye and said, God must have needed her more. I'm still struggling with forgiving that. I know they mean well. But the amount of damage that it has done to the view of a God that my wife now has, we're still working through two and a half years later. My sister and her family made sure that Quinn was taken care of, that's my daughter, and that she didn't feel alone and left out as her mother and I wept and made funeral plans we were ill-equipped to make. My sister also that night, in a moment of the Spirit, When she saw me, she wrapped me in her arms and told me in my ear, you need to know your daughter loved you. And it was not something that I knew that I needed to hear. But I also knew that at some point, if I had not heard it, I would have wondered it. But I didn't have to now. And that bolstered me up to be there again for my wife and my daughter and to start making the plans that I never knew I would have to make. My dearest friends, the Wiccans, had literally, literally just made it into Michigan from Virginia to see their oldest son. And when when they heard the news, they turned the car around and immediately started driving back to Virginia to be with us. That was the night I met Fred. He came as a pastor to my sister and Nico, but he jumped in as if he'd been part of our family for years. A church I had left a year or so ago reached out and immediately wanted to start a food train for me, for us. Our neighbors took care of the dog and our lawn. My ride or die crew at the school that I was at during that time offered uh, time and space for me to grieve as I needed. They would come and pick me up to have drinks or just to drive around with the ragtop down. Strangers donated money to help with expenses. The love that poured in was palpable and at overtime and at times, frankly, overwhelming. I didn't know what to do with it all. The thing that I did learn, and I learned it quick, was that I had to choose to lean into the community that was there to support me. I learned to ask for things when I needed help. I learned to say yes when people offered help. A community is pointless unless we are willing to trust them when we need them. When we choose not to collapse into the safety net of our community, all we're really doing is grasping and gripping onto our pride. When, you, when we lean into them, we are allowing them to fulfill Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. So time continues to march forward, and so does the need for community. My community looks a little different now. I'm at a different school. 
I'm at a different place in life. But they're no less important than when Tara died two years ago. They allow me to talk their ears off when the grief comes roaring back, and I'm so overwhelmed by it all that I can't imagine getting out of it. They are my reminders that in the event of cavern depressurization, I need to put my oxygen mask on first so that I'm able to help my family. They also give me the grace that I need when I get down on myself because my emotional tank is so dry I can't be there for anybody else. Sometimes the daily grind and the grief just get to me and it's so heavy that I just can't bear it. So now we add a community to the equation and it's balanced. We can be in a better position to choose joy. Joy is supposed to be one of the distinguishing characteristics of a Christ follower. Look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. You may be familiar with the kids' song, I've got the joy, uh, no, what is it? <laughs> the joy of the Lord is my strength. We say that like 15 times. There's a better Ren Collective version that's definitely much better and much more for adults. But also, there's something about saying that phrase 15 times that eventually gets into your soul. And I can tell you right now, I have had to claim this in the midst of tears and screaming, sometimes not my own. And sometimes when I didn't feel it. But promises have to be claimed. And this is a promise that we have. And it's a promise that we find in Nehemiah chapter 8. The wall has been rebuilt and the exiles have returned and they are weeping and repenting. And Nehemiah offers them this. He says, do not grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So when we turn that on, our, on its head and we claim it and they, we say the joy of the Lord is my strength, we are claiming that promise that Nehemiah mentioned so long ago. Later, towards the end of Jesus' ministry in John 15, he tells his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Note, there is a condition to his joy being made full in us. We must keep his commands to love one another. In other words, we might call it living in community. Now, I've grown up in the church. It's always been a part of my life. So in my head, I knew that there was something different between the word joy and the word happiness. I knew that happiness was a direct result of our circumstances. But I didn't really truly understand the depths of the difference between joy and happiness. Until, frankly, I came to WCC. And I heard for the first time that joy was not about this happiness, this tambourine clapping, this, all this kind of stuff that we can get into. Instead, it is a deep inner peace and contentment despite our circumstances, not because of. So one day I was driving in the car, and for whatever reason that day I felt like listening to some old hymns, and I think it was Blessed Assurance came on. And as I'm singing along with Blessed Assurance, I almost have to pull the car over because I am overwhelmed with this sense that I even struggle to say in public. Because in that moment, God brought to me the weeks right after my daughter's death, and I recalled all the people that spoke into my life, and I recalled all the community that was there. And I recalled all the love that was being outpoured. And in that moment, two years later, I can say to you right now that in that moment, I had 
joy. And in an impossible circumstance, and an impossible peace that could only be given to me by God. It's the only explanation. Because I didn't have to understand why. I didn't have to understand all of that. I knew she was gone. I could mourn and I could grieve. But I didn't have to wonder about a God who would take a 17-year-old girl. Because I know that's not how he works. It's just not. He didn't need her. He's everything. I could sense this because I knew who held the future. And in that time, he had allowed all that I had learned about him in community to come flooding back and comfort me with nothing else. And no one on earth could do so. So, how does all this fit with grasping, gripping, and giving? I've already talked about it a little bit. Community takes time. It takes your time. It takes my time. We have to be there for others. And then others can be there for us. And no, I'm not saying you build community for what it can give for you. I'm not saying that. That's not how true community works. But it does take time, and time is something we have to give. But, in a more brutal sense, the truth is this. All too often, as parents, we look at as children as our possession. They're ours. Even those who have a marginal connection to church will often dedicate or baptize or christen their child. And in every one of those that I have sat through, what I have heard the minister say is that we are called to be good stewards of what is in our possession for a time. Now, so many times we as parents will gloss right over that because certainly we have 18, 20, 25, 30, 40 years before they go off on their own. And so we don't think about it much. We don't imagine that that time will be cut short. But the lives of our loved ones, including our children, are not to be grasped or gripped They are to be given. Now I want you to imagine you're holding on to a rope and the other end of that rope is tied to a car and the car starts to take off. You have one or two options. You can let it go. That's the safe choice. Or you can hold on to it as tight as you possibly can. But here's what I'm telling you. No matter how much strength you think you can muster, you're not stopping that car. The only thing you're going to do is rip the skin from your hands. And sometimes, when we as parents, sorry, that's the tension we must live in. We care for them, we pour our lives into them, but if we hold too tightly, which every loving mother and father should do, that unspeakable pain becomes unbearable. And we find that not only are our lives, but our identities, we're so wrapped up in these beautiful, precious children that we have lost our very selves, which can lead us to feeling alone, purposeless, and in a pit so deep we can't see the top, and we are surrounded by utter and total darkness. Church, I pray that we learn to live into the end. I pray that we learn to lean into our community. And I pray that we learn to choose to count it all joy. And then in this, 
we begin to feel the warm embrace of Father that was there all along. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.